Can you agree that there has been no evidence of collusion coordination or conspiracy that has been presented thus far between the Trump campaign and Russia? Uh, no, I don't agree with that at all. I think there's plenty of evidence of collusion or conspiracy in plain sight. It only took four years, but the Durham report has finally dropped. And he found out what everybody already knew. The whole Trump-Russia collusion story was a giant hoax started by Democrats. The FBI knew it was a hoax, the CIA knew it was a hoax, and Barack Obama knew it was a hoax. Everybody knew it was a hoax the whole time, but they acted like it was real. And hello, it's Mr. Manger here from the Austro-Jeffersonian Empire of Liberty. Welcome again to another fine and exciting edition. Today is not really a meticulously constructed episode. I'm going to go on the fly a little bit. But I entitle this, The Buck Stops Where? Corruption, Debt, and the American Way. And if you look at my Substack Companion article, there is an AI-generated picture of a Superman Uncle Sam figure. I just thought, hey, maybe that's, um, you know, symbolic in a way. And, you know, at least for me, it's, um, look at it with a lot of cynicism. Uh, Uncle Sam promises an awful lot and can only deliver what he could rob, cheat, and steal to get you. Now, the uh, big news, I guess, you know, in these conservative and libertarian to a certain degree, those circles, is the Durham Report. Everyone's really happy this came out. Um, I, I might offer a different takeaway, to be honest with you. I, I think there's a good chance that special counsel John Durham was born with a dirty look, and it's too bad that he's controlled opposition. Now, why? Why would I say that? Well, when you're an institutionalist, you're controlled opposition by definition. Precisely the brand that Bob Barr would be very happy to appoint. Now, I'm going to give away the game early because that's how I roll. I've got an article from the New York Post in front of me, and here is the most important line. It says, Durham dug deep into the origins of Operation Crossfire Hurricane, but his final report didn't urge new criminal prosecutions. Remember that, or I will make you remember that, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to make you remember that. Second most important line, in my opinion, in that entire article says, Durham stopped short of recommending significant reforms to the FBI. Stop short? And, you know, if you're among the conventional cookie-cutter crowd, let me just kind of start reading it. Durham concluded his four-year review with a scathing indictment of official bias in the probe, which fueled Pulitzer Prize-winning coverage of Trump's theorized conspiracy with the Kremlin to win the White House. 
theorized conspiracy? I mean, it's like calling Hillary Clinton and Adam Schiff conspiracy theorists uh, without actually doing so, but which they are in a very, you know, special way. After all, the Russia Russia tinfoil was sold out by the time they mummy-wrapped their careers in it. Now, as I quote some of these passages from John Durham himself, I'm going to do the voice of his face. It is the officer's assessment that the FBI discounted or willfully ignored material information that did not support the narrative of a collusive relationship between Trump and Russia. Okay. But you don't want to reform that FBI. No, no. You're going to give it a dirty look, and uh, hopefully they'll feel some shame. Okay, moreover. Similar, the FBI Inspection Division report says that the investigators repeatedly ignored or explained away evidence contrary to the theory the Trump campaign had conspired with Russia. It appeared that there was a pattern of assuming nefarious intent. Okay, okay. An objective and honest assessment of these strands of information should have caused the FBI to question not only the predication for the investigation, but also to reflect on whether the FBI was being manipulated for political or other purposes. Unfortunately, it did not. So you've got an FBI. They can't even avoid being manipulated, so to speak, for political or other purposes. And that's not an FBI worth reforming, in Durham's view. Throughout the duration of Crossfire Hurricane... Facts and circumstances that were inconsistent with the premise that Trump and or persons associated with the Trump campaign were involved in a collusive or conspiratorial relationship with the Russian government were ignored or simply assessed away. So basically anything that came across the FBI that would have in any way exonerated Trump from basically these charges of treason. That was ignored, and this is, again, an FBI that you don't want to reform. Nobody in it should be charged with anything, according to Mr. Durham. Amazing. Prior to the submission of the initial page FISA application, the FBI in fact knew that Steele had told Handling Agent 1 that Fusion GPS had been hired by a law firm and that his ultimate client was senior Democrats supporting Clinton. Moreover, it knew that Handling Agent 1's notes of this meeting reflect, according to Steele, H.C. Hillary Clinton was aware of his, Steele's, reporting. 
Well, nothing to see here other than a dirty look. And that's all the business you need when you mean business. So President Biden tweeted this May 16th, 2023, the day I read this. If America defaults on its debt, our economy would fall into recession and our nation's global reputation would be damaged. MAGA House Republicans should stop playing brinkmanship with the full faith and credit of the United States. It's a manufactured crisis. So, of course, he's talking about this debt ceiling debate. And, of course, what is the point of a debt ceiling if you're always raising it? So do you do the same thing in your house with, you know, a physical ceiling when you run out of room? Do you, do you make a new room? I mean, you pay for more space when you run out of space or do you get rid of some junk? It's taken as a given that any respectable person knows you have to do it. You got to raise that debt ceiling. Ooh. Congress gets to vote on whether Congress should get to spend more money. It's a wonder there's really any resistance. Now, I suppose it's a manufactured crisis in the sense that Republicans would spend just as much, perhaps, when they're back in the White House. But it's still kicking the can down the road. They're mainly paying the interest on it so they could continue the kick the can down the road game. And of course, one of those not-so-respectable people is Thomas Jefferson. And Mike Meharry of the Tenth Amendment Center wrote yet another great piece on Thomas Jefferson. I'm going to quote a few passages for you. Meharry says, The way Thomas Jefferson handled the national debt should serve as a blueprint today. But instead, modern presidents look more like college students on a spending spree with their first credit cards. In January 2017, the national debt stood at a whopping $19.95 trillion, but like years prior, it only got worse since then. In just the next four years, we saw another $7.8 trillion added to the debt, and another $680 billion was added to the total in just the next eight months. You don't even have to know the current numbers to recognize that this is totally unsustainable. But this isn't just a current guy in office problem. Every modern president inherited a huge national debt and managed to expand it during their time in office. In fact, since 1940, every successive presidential administration has spent more than the previous administration in inflation-adjusted dollars. But there was a time when some presidents took paying off Uncle Sam's debts seriously. For instance, Thomas Jefferson faced a huge national debt when he took office in 1800. But unlike his modern counterparts, he didn't grow it further. In fact, he significantly whittled down the debt. Jefferson and his fellow Democrat-Republicans in Congress knocked about $26 million off the debt through his two terms in office, this despite taking on an additional $13 million of added debt for the Louisiana Purchase. Now, he has it 
in parentheses that $26 million is $420.8 million in 2018 dollars. Despite facing a number of contingencies, Jefferson limited federal spending, keeping total outlays flat at between 8 and 10 million throughout his presidency. The Democrat-Republicans held costs down by cutting the federal bureaucracy, and they even managed to do this with a federal workforce totaling just 130 employees. During Jefferson's tenure, the federal debt fell from $83 million in 1801 to $57 million in 1809. As Chris Edwards at the Cato Institute noted, the drop in debt was impressive, especially considering that the government swallowed that $13 million of added debt from the Louisiana Purchase. Here's Meharry in his own words. You know, the Donald Trump-Joe Biden strategy for dealing with the national debt is simply ignore it and keep spending money anyway. In fact, this has been the strategy of virtually every modern president. As a result, we now have a $28 trillion national debt. I think maybe we should look someplace else for a strategy. How about Thomas Jefferson? His seemed to work pretty well. He believed in actually shrinking the size of government instead of expanding it. He said he was for a government rigorously frugal and simple. And he wanted to apply all of the savings to actually paying off the national debt, not borrowing and spending more to expand it. He also said he was not for a multiplication of officers and salaries merely to make partisans and for increasing by every device the public debt on the principle of it being a public blessing. Jefferson knew better. Debt is not a public blessing. Well, I can't always give you good news, but I can sometimes have a little fun with the bad news and maybe even throw in a little history lesson. Sometimes one that's brought to my attention. This one, in fact, was from the MeWe group. If you happen to be on MeWe, look me up. This has been another episode of the Austro-Jeffersonian Empire of Liberty podcast. I'm Mr. Manger. Thanks again for listening.